WKCR, WKCR FM New York, WKCR HD, WKCR.org, 89.9 FM, or maybe you're listening to the Deep Focus podcast, or maybe somewhere else that we don't even know about. It's entirely possible. Whatever the case, you are in the place to be. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman, and here's how we play the game. We invite a guest into the studio. The guest chooses a topic. Your humble narrator plunges into the WKCR archives in search of live, unreleased recordings of whoever the guest chooses. I know it sounds beyond the realm of the possible. And yet, so far, every time we stuck the landing. Let's see if we make it tonight. As I welcome back to the studio, William Parker. William, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. And now I know you are... Uh, the hardest working man in uh, on our side of the biz. You lead more bands, create more events, more tours, more recordings, books uh, than uh, any five people I can think of. So thank you for making time for us tonight, and especially on the brink of kicking off another fantastic Vision Festival that's coming up. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But uh, let's get into deep focus and tell us on whom are we going to focus for this first part of the show? Well, this evening, we're going to focus on Don Cherry, a musician I played with in, uh, well, throughout the years, I used to do gigs with Don Cherry and uh, Allen Ginsberg in latter times. I don't, we don't have any of that. But... Um, in 1975, I met Don, and um, we began talking about the Dalai Lama and talking about spirituality and talking about how uh, music was played to, to heal people. And uh, I met him on LaGuardia Place and then he was staying at the Chelsea Hotel at the time. So we walked all the way from LaGuardia Place up to the Chelsea Hotel. And um, he had some some brown rice there in a pot. We had some brown rice and, and some juice. And um, then as, I, as we were saying goodbye, he said, oh, well, what do you do? I said, I'm, uh, uh, he, well, he knew I was a musician. We talked about that. He said, well, I play bass. He said, well, you know, I'm playing at the five spot coming up. Uh, why don't you play the week with me? So I said, sure. I, I, 
you know, big uh, gratitude. So he invited me down, and uh, I came. I think we were playing there for a week, from Tuesday to Sunday. And it was the new five spot that had opened up on St. Mark's Place. So he said, come come down about uh, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, something like that. And I came down with my bass, and he showed me uh, a few bass lines for some of the tunes. And um, he had some South African tunes. Uh, he what, had was some, he playing with Johnny Diani at that time? Around yeah, him? yeah, yeah. He mentioned John Diani was playing with him in Europe. And um, he had some Turkish tunes. He had some... Okay, Tamiz was also he's a Turkish percussionist he was working with in Europe, I yep, think, before yep. that. And uh, Ornette, Co- <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Ornette Coleman tunes. They were only always had a tunes. few of those, right? He always had a few Monk and always had a few Ornette. And uh, Stevie Wonder. Wow. What's so, Stevie Wonder? Do you remember? Oh, uh, Jesus. I don't know. Maybe it's on the maybe it's on yeah, maybe it's on the tape. Yeah. We can recognize it. All right. Uh, so anyway, so I did a rehearsal and then um, we did the gig. And the the gig, the personnel in the band was um, Frank Lowe, who I had recorded with and played at the Artist House with in '73 or so. And Frank was playing bass sax and tenor sax. He had Sailing Fong playing a Chinese instrument called a chin. Sandy Bull played the oud. What what kind of instrument is the chin? It's it's like a zither, mm-hmm. you know, like, like a koto type instrument. And uh, Hakeem Jami was there playing euphonium, and also bass. And people, in case they don't know, euphonium is it's like a, it's in the tuba family. And and it's uh, a small tuba instrument. It's in B flat or F. They have compensating uh, euphoniums and non-compensating euphoniums. But I want to explain that right now to everybody. Uh, who else did we have? Okay, then we had Ed Blackwell, Roger Blank, and then we also had Billy Higgins was on the gig. Wow. So, but they all three of them never came at the same time. So it was either it was either two of them, either Billy Higgins and Blackwell, or Roger Blank and and Blackwell, or Roger Blank and Billy Higgins. And I had and I I knew Roger Blank through uh, a group we had called were playing with it called the Melodic Artet. I knew Billy Higgins because I used to go out to his house in St. Mark's Street in Brooklyn and play with him and, and Clifford Jordan. It's where I met Wilbur Ware in Billy Higgins' basement. And so we used to play duos down there, so I knew, I knew Billy. And uh, I know I previously know Blackwell. Maybe I didn't know Blackwell until this gig. And, uh, and of course, Don played electric piano and Dusangoni, the, the uh, hunter's guitar from Molly. Uh, which he was actually playing the day I met him in the street. You know, we were doing Dusangoni, and I was reading some poetry uh, on LaGuardia Place. <clears throat> so that was the personnel, um, and we played two sets a night. Maybe we played three sets on the weekend. I'm not sure. 
But it was, uh, and we had a tapestry in back of us by Moki Sherry. And for people who don't know, didn't have a chance to meet Don Cherry, and he's been gone, it's hard to believe, 28 years he's been gone, just about. Um, can you give us a little pencil sketch of his character and the kind of person when you, if you met him on the street? or? Well, you know, Don was always interested in finding the keys to enlightenment. He was always interested in finding people that would help uh, uplift him and play bright, joyful music. And as I said, you know, we talked about spirituality, but he had no idea whether I could play or not. That's one of the things that really struck me about you telling the story. But but, uh, it was like he was saying, oh, don't don't worry, you can play. Don't worry about that. I I know you can play. He he seemed to believe... And whether this is true or not, you can tell me if you agree, but I think it was a core belief of his that playing music was like breathing, if you allowed it to be, and anybody could do it. Well, you know, that was part of it. You know, I mean, he he worked hard on his music, and uh, but he, he really was a, just knew lots of tunes, and he could really had a, had a great memory for memorizing... Uh, music, and uh, he was just a musical person. So, so many times we'd be hanging out on the Lower East Side with Dennis Charles, and and uh, Don would come through, and he'd be roller skating. He have like a hat with a propeller on top, and he'd roller skate through, and we stop and we talk, and sometimes we sit on the stoop and we play. And uh, when I was playing with with Cecil Taylor. And uh, Don would come by, and uh, we were playing at a club called Carlos Warner. Oh, yeah, 6th yeah. Ave. Yeah. yeah. And Don would come by, and he'd, he'd always say, I wish I could be that free. Ah, uh, that's, a, that's a, quite a compliment from Don Cherry. And then he also would come, you know, when I was playing with a trumpet player named Arthur Williams and with an ensemble Muntu, Don would come by. And he would say to Arthur, silver bullets, silver bullets. <laughs> I mean, so he was always supportive of, like John Gilmore was that way also, very supportive of younger musicians. I mean, when I, I was in the Bronx. I met John Gilmore and Marshall Allen the same day. And they were like, oh, you know, come on, we'll sit down. Let's see what we can learn from you. And I said, I came here to talk to you guys. And they, but they, they, they would treat you like an equal and they would uh, just somehow see, be able to see, detect a certain light in people. And if, if that light was turned off, when you met these guys, the light would turn on. And that's what kind of uh, uh, power they had. Um, I mean, Ornette Coleman, uh, speak of, you know, uh, he was living at 131 Prince Street. And Ornette was always a uh, very hospitable person. Um, we'd always, I'd be hanging out with saxophone player Daniel Carter a lot, and we'd go to Ornette's concerts, and Ornette would just let us in, for, you know, for free. His manager would say, no, they got to pay, they got to pay. <laughs> and Ornette would say, no, 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 sit down. <laughs> and uh, I remember stopping at Ornette's house at like 2, 3 in the morning. 
and he opens the door just like it's it's lunchtime. Come on in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was always been inviting and and warm to people, and um, and again someone who was open to the light and open to finding you know new ways of keeping things illuminated and keeping the music flowing. So um, and it was all in a family because also at that time. Uh, I met I met Billy Higgins, as I said, and uh, I would go out to Billy's house, and he said, come out to my house out in Brooklyn, and we played bass drum duos. And when I first got out there, there was this piano player, Chris Anderson, on the piano, and I didn't, I couldn't figure him out at first. You know, but I, you know, and then I, later on I figured he, I figured out he was blind. Wilbur Ware was out there, and Clifford Jordan. Wow! And we played all afternoon, and 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 then later on, I, when he was free, I'd go out there and we'd just play bass and drum duets. And Billy would play the doombag. He'd play the bongos. He was playing the guitar. So, um, so all of these the elders were open. You know, the door was, was was never closed on them, and that was very important because uh, now people go to the new school, and in those days you, you go over to Billy Higgins' house or you go over to Rashid Ali's place. You say, Rashid, hey, she, you want to play? And boom, he comes down yeah, and, he, you know, yeah. and he plays with you for hours. So it's it was, uh, it was firsthand exchanging of vibrations through the masters and uh and that was the uh, that was a, a lessons on both sides so it, it was great that that's how the scene was in those days i mean it was really uh musicians lived in manhattan they lived in the lower east side and you always could run into someone you know if, if you went outside um to get a container of milk you run into andrew hill you know he lived on 11th street bnc Charles Brackeen lived around the corner. Frank Lowe lived on St. Mark's Place. So you, so you end up having these summit meetings on the corner. And it wasn't like, well, who is this guy? But everybody <laughs> knew you because they met you before. You know, They either met you here, they met you at Studio Rivby, they met you at Studio Wee, they met you on the corner. And, and um, so you have these gatherings and exchanges of, uh, of energy. And the show is called Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman, and I have the great privilege of being here with William Parker. And you were telling me that you would tell people about this gig, and maybe they believed you, maybe they didn't. And I'm wondering if you've heard this recording since that night in June no, of 1975. No, I, I haven't. I haven't. Did you know that somebody had recorded it? And it well, was... I figured somebody would come up with a recording because we played for a week. And uh, there's always someone bringing a, a tape recorded and sitting in the audience recording. I mean, they did it with with Charlie Parker and John Coltrane and any musician that played in a jazz club. There was people who came and they taped, whether they had the tape recorder, you know, underneath their sleeve, hidden in their pants. Right. The mics coming out <laughs> their hats, you know, all kinds of things. Because the thing is, w once you begin to listen to this music, you become obsessed with it. True. It really becomes a lifeline. 
And so the people that, that tape, they're not necessarily trying to start a record company, but they're taping it because it's really feeding them. It's feeding them and keeping them from, from it helps keep them balanced. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they did. And I'm, by some incredible happenstance, it made it its way to the KCR studios tonight. And uh, we've kept you waiting 48 years for this moment to hear this music. So uh, we're going to listen together. Um, anything else you want to say about this particular session before we start? No, well, it was really quick ears. And I say quick ears is that you never knew. It was never saying, okay, we're going to play this, and then we're going to play that, and we're going to play this. It was never, ever like that. And then you say, okay, well, we went over, you know, because at that time he was had recorded Brown Rice. It was, it was around that period. And so we were doing some of that material. So, but... He never, you, you have to listen. If you heard that bass line, you knew he was, you know, boom, 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 rap, bam, boom, 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 boom. You, you knew to go to that, you know. And then I think if he went, boom, like Stevie Wonder tune, you know. Right, right. And, and then if you did Sentimental Mood, you, Duke Ellington. You know, then there were tunes that you just had to listen and pick up on the spot. Can I tell you? He was a guest on this show, not Deep Focus, but the previous show that I did maybe a dozen times, and it was exactly the same way, having him as a guest on the radio show, and he would say, oh, yeah, play this Ellington. Wait, no, 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 play this Conlon Nuncaro. Wait, no, play both. Play them both at the same time. Open the mic. I'm going to play along with this. And it was like that for the whole three hours, and uh, he rewired me as a radio host. So uh, that, I have no problem believing that to be the case. Uh, this particular night, and we believe it's June 7th of 1975 in Lower East Side at the new, was then the new five spot, and you gave the personnel Sandy Bull, Frank Lowe, Roger Blank, Ed Blackwell, Hakeem Jami, Celine Fung, and yourself, and Don Cherry. And uh, should we jump right in? It's Deep Focus, William Parker Radio on WKCR. Here we go, here we go, here we go.
are a fly on the wall at the five spot down on St. Mark's Place. The date is June 7th, 1975. And you are in the presence of one of the musicians on that piece of music. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. The show's called Deep Focus. William Parker is here in the studio with me, and he has just been listening to that along with us, with me and with you, for the first time since that night, really? Wow. And what are you hearing? Well, the music was happening. And uh, it was happening. It was, it was I don't know, we, I got, we'd have to figure out which night this was. But because uh, every night was different, and every you know time it it was growing, but uh, no, it was a uh, it was really uh, it came together in a, in a magical way. And you said something interesting to me off mic. You said it was like playing in a dance band. Yeah. And how did you mean that? Well, the idea was that the music danced, people danced. And the idea was whatever you played, um, as uh, you know, Lou Donaldson used to say, everything I play from now on is going to be funky. It, it, it had the folk funk. It had the, the uh, African rhythms. It had Turkish rhythms. It had indigenous rhythms. It had blues rhythms, all kinds of rhythms that uh, that can come out of you, come through a, the musician, and it was just groove after groove after groove, and so it was really uh, it was really fun. You guys are covering a lot of ground here. I mean, it's just it's like a moving target. It yep. just feels like uh, the the instrumentation is shifting, the the rhythm is shifting, the energy is moving, and it's raw. You see, it's got that it's got that raw sound that you don't get on records. Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, and raw means it's got a people sound. It's not um, it's not polished. It's um, it's individual for each person, and everybody will hear it a different way according to their relationship in sound. Uh, someone said to me the other day that um, they were listening to a saxophone player and they said, well, you know, uh, you won't find any of the notes that he played on the piano. Hmm. <laughs> and that's the idea, you know, is that we're talking about world music. We're talking about uh, music from the universe that's not necessarily based off of the piano. You know, it's based off of the soil. It's based off, based off of the sky, off of the people. The notes between the notes, and then it's based off of what you would call a sound system. And I don't mean something that plays records, but uh, you always ask the students, I say, well, what's the difference between a note and a sound? And they, they stop and think, well, so a note is... Um, well, comes off the piano, it's got a name, and the sound has got a personality. So uh, that's one of the answers, but uh, but this music was a sound and rhythm music and a m melodic thrust and vibrant music. I mean, it was very swift. You know, uh, you know, it was Blackwell. We haven't gone into any really quick tempos yet. But but he could just take off and uh, cross those rhythms 
and it was just, and then we had um, it went two basses, crossing rhythms, and then when Frank went to the bass sax, that would anchor things down. But Frank could also play way up in the upper register with the bass sax, and so I, it was, uh, it was. Uh, where, did, where did Frank get? That? Did Frank get that bass sax? He might have got that bass sax from Anthony Braxton for a week. Mm. Well, he was known for playing that around that yeah, time, right? I, I, could be. But uh, and now, and when you say bass sax, that's not to be confused. Baritone saxophone is the one we yeah, I always think this see. Was, I'm going to think this because it seemed like this this sax was on a stand. So I wonder if it was a contrabass sax. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I think it was a contrabass sax. That's a very dramatic yeah, instrument. Yeah, really a dramatic big. sounding instrument. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was bigger than a bread box. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. So let me run down once again who is on this set. It's So Don Cherry, it's, uh, it's his date, and he's playing trumpet. You hear him playing electric piano. You hear him vocalizing. Sandy Bull is listed on guitar. I'm not hearing a lot of guitar, but... Um, well, the oud. Or, yeah, what... It says guitar. I'm sure yeah, he you're might right. have Obviously played. He had a guitar too, but he was also playing. Uh, I know he had played with Don on a folk record playing oud, and I think he was playing oud. Uh, but again, we will have to listen and see. Yeah, well, and who knows what how it's going to change shape as we go through this set. Uh, Frank Lowe, you said he's playing tenor saxophone, bass baritone, bass sax, sax bass saxophone, soprano sax. Uh, we heard in there and flute, uh, Ed Blackwell and Roger Blank playing drums, Hakim Jami and yourself both playing bass, and Celine Fung playing the chin, and and Hakim Jami playing uh, also euphonium. Yes, yes, yes. Um, is Don Cherry actively the leader? Is he directing the movement, or is it? the ensemble kind of like a Ouija board and, and it's leading its own path? Well, Don is leading the band, but uh, he is posting the colors. How you paint with the colors is up to you. And when you hear a particular color, you hear red, you can play red or you can say, okay, well, if everyone else is playing red, I'm going to play a little black, a little green, a little yellow, so that it pops out. So you have the freedom of doing uh, whatever you wanted to do in this particular ensemble. It wasn't so much a, uh, you know, even on within a song, there was freedom to interpret the song um, the way you heard the song. So it was. It was a really. Um, but Don was the catalyst, you because know, he did the. He was the. He he would move things to the left, to the right, and uh, go from one tune to another, and um, nobody really knew the names of all the tunes, but he had a, he had a lot of uh, uh, melodies in his head, and some things were made up right there on on the bandstand. He he had the reputation for, and he was, I think, way ahead of his time. This became a more common notion later, I think, of playing, as you were saying, referring to these different traditions from around the world. Um, was that part of the idiom at that time, or was he sort of more ahead of some others in that? And was that how 
distinctive was that Well, the idea was that, okay, you travel the world, and uh, you travel some countries, and you play with the, mu- the musicians from Morocco. You play with the musicians from Mali, and they say, this is our instrument, the so-called uh, Ngoni, Dusangoni, Camelagoni, and you learn how it's tuned, you learned uh, some of the rhythms, and then you internalize that, and then it comes out differently. Because it's, it's never really about trying to be a, uh, a musician from another country. You, you know, the idea is that you have to be yourself, and you're influenced by this as you could be influenced by uh, clock ticking in your house or be influenced by uh, someone you met on the street who was singing a melody that you never heard before. You say, oh, I like that melody. I'm going to, can I use that melody? But the idea is to, if, like, if, water, if music is water, the idea is to heat it up so it begins to steam. And when in the steam, that's where the tone comes in. And then when you, you it goes into the next level and you hit into that tone world, and that's where the magic starts. And that where, where you're not, it's not you playing, the music is coming through you, you can go anywhere, you can dip and slide, you can boogaloo, you know, you can waltz, you can hold back, you can back beat, you can front beat. You can do many, many things. You're not locked into just playing a part. You know, the only part you should play is yourself. You're listening to WKCR. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. The show is called Deep Focus, and this is what we do. We get a guest in, and we're lucky to have William Parker tonight. And guest chooses a topic, and we found, this is another one of these wonders of, you know, I think about when Don Cherry used to be a guest on this show. There was there were always these remarkable coincidences happening, and they never seemed remarkable to Don. <laughs> he just seemed to expect it that the world was going to bring these things our way, and I feel like that's happened tonight because here we've got this recording that you remembered fondly but had never heard, and here we are. What a pleasure it is for me to be able to play this for you. And uh, your insights are invaluable. Uh, should we uh, hear another chunk of music, see where this goes? Okay. Any, is anything coming back to mind or anything we should listen for as we go? No, I just stay open and, and listen and then. I love it. I love it. All right. It's Deep Focus. William Parker's our guest. He's here on this track we're listening to. It's music from the Don Cherry Group at the Five Spot. Here in New York City, June 7th, 1975. Thank you. 
sorry to break the flow there. We're going to get right back to that. It's Deep Focus is the program. As you heard, I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. And this is May 29th, 2023. William Parker, you're hearing him on the topic of Don Cherry. What a prize we found here. There's a lot more of it, too. So meet me over at hour two. And uh, one of the things we're going to get into talking about is the upcoming Vision Festival. If you are so lucky to be in New York and if the calendar is reading June 2023, then uh, you can join us at the Vision Festival at Roulette. Give all the details to you, but look for, well, yeah, if you can't wait, pop over to artsforart.org and we'll see you over at part two. <laughs> 